the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. EP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Even though the Lord let this rich young man walk away, story doesn't end here. Matthew doesn't move on to a completely new episode. You see, this was one of those what we would call teachable moments that Jesus seized upon in order to give his disciples important instruction on the problem of loving wealth. These men, these disciples, had just observed a very wealthy man reject salvation. You know what? They were puzzled by it. They needed some explanation. Why? Why would this man walk away from Christ? And why wouldn't Jesus go after him? Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Over the past several days, we've been studying the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, who told Jesus that he had kept all the law from his youth but wondered if Jesus could tell him if there was something else he could do to make sure he had eternal life. Jesus said, yeah, there's just one more thing. Sell everything you own and give the proceeds to the poor. And the rich young man walked away in despair because he was too attached to all of his riches. Today, we'll start to see how Jesus used that encounter to teach his disciples and us an exceedingly important lesson. Here's Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles once again to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 23. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, They were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne You also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This morning, I'd like us to begin our study by asking you a question that I just want you to think about, and then I'm going to give you the answer in just a moment. But the question is this, what do the following three statements have in common? There is a common denominator between all these statements, and I want you to think about this. Number one, statement number one is God helps those who help themselves. Statement number two is cleanliness is next to godliness. 
Statement number three is money is the root of all evil. The answer to the question of what common denominator do these three sentences have is that none of these statements are found in the Bible, but people assume that they are written in Scripture. Cleanliness is next to godliness appears to have been an ancient Jewish proverb dating back to the second century AD. It was modified by Francis Bacon in one of his writings in the 1600s, and then it appeared in a sermon preached by John Wesley in 1791, in which he said, cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, as important as it is to be clean, I don't think anyone would debate that it is not next to godliness, and the statement is not found in the Bible. Secondly, God helps those who help themselves. This is also a statement assumed by many to be in Scripture, but it's not. Now, we all have human responsibility to obey the Word of God, but actually this is a dangerous statement because Scripture actually teaches the opposite, especially concerning the doctrine of salvation. God saves those who know that they are too weak to save themselves. They know that they have absolutely no ability in and of themselves to help themselves get to heaven. That's why Jesus said you had to become converted and be like a child, a helpless child to enter God's kingdom. Now, it's this third statement, money is the root of all evil, that I want us to spend a few minutes focusing on because many people quote this saying, and they are convinced that this is in the Bible, and they are convinced that we who believe the Bible and embrace biblical Christianity believe this. But it's not in the Bible, and we don't believe this. It's not there. There is no verse anywhere in the Bible that says money is the root of all evil. What is in the Bible is a statement by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. See, the Bible never teaches that money in and of itself is wrong. Money is neither morally good or morally bad. It's neutral. However, what the Bible warns us against is the evil of loving money. If we love it, if we live for it, if we give our hearts to pursuing it, then Paul says it can be the source of all kinds of evil. Now, this is such an obvious truth, obvious, that that no one in his right mind could possibly debate it or challenge it, because we see it everywhere in society. The love of money has been the cause of countless murders, robberies, fraudulent behavior, lies, hostilities, deceitfulness, and, and other assorted crimes. And the greed that comes with loving money has destroyed numerous relationships, broken untold marriages that cracked under the strain of financial stress, ended myriads of friendships, and has negatively affected entire national economies. That's society. No one can debate that. But not only are the problems associated with loving money blatantly obvious in our world, our society, but the problems that come with loving money is a truth, folks, that's found throughout Scripture, sometimes addressed explicitly, sometimes just illustrated. For example, it was the love of money that caused Balaam in the Old Testament, this pagan soothsayer, to want to curse the God-blessed nation of Israel. Why? In order to secure a payment 
from a pagan king who wanted the Jewish people destroyed, and that was his strategy. Come, curse this people, and I'll be able to defeat them. And Balaam wants her to do this to gain money. And for the love of money, two people, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, members of the early church in the city of Jerusalem, publicly lied, thinking that they could keep some money for themselves that they had promised to give to God. They sold some property. They try to impress people, try to impress God, saying we're going to give all of the money to God, but they lied and kept back some for themselves. And ultimately, God disciplined them by death for their sin. They loved money. It was for the love of money that Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver and lived to eternally regret it. And I might add that Scripture gives numerous statements in the New Testament about false teachers being driven by finances and the desire to financially exploit people that motivates them in their work of teaching error. But perhaps the most direct and straightforward biblical account of the evil that can result from loving money is the story of the rich young ruler that we've been studying in Matthew 19. This is a man who, after inquiring from Jesus what he needed to do to obtain eternal life, walked away from the Lord, walked away from the message of salvation by grace because he had much wealth, we're told, and he wasn't willing to stop worshiping his money and possessions. The story about this man is found in the previous passage that I just read to you. It starts in Matthew 19, verses 16, and goes through 22. We studied that several weeks ago, and in our study, we discovered that here was a man who was very, at least initially, very eager to receive spiritual help from Jesus. Mark, in his parallel gospel account, tells us that while Jesus was about to leave this man's community... He must have been walking out of town. This man came running up to the Lord, trying to catch him before he left. And he wanted to know, as verse 16 says, how can I obtain eternal life? It says this, verse 16, someone came to him, as I said, Mark says he came running to him, said, teacher, Mark and Luke say, he said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, although he was very sincere In his question, he wasn't ready to receive eternal life. Wasn't ready. Why? Because he didn't understand several vital truths that are necessary for anyone to receive the gift of eternal life. First of all, he didn't understand the nature of God. He didn't understand that God was pure holiness. God was pure goodness. God was pure justice and righteousness. And that there was no one else who was morally good like God. Now, maybe theoretically in his mind... He believed it. Maybe he would have written that, that, yes, that is my doctrine. I believe God is good. But in his heart, he really didn't grasp it. And we know that because thinking that Jesus was just an impressive human rabbi, the rich young ruler referred to the Lord as good. He called him good teacher. What this revealed was that this man had a very low view of God's character because in thinking that Jesus was only a man, he didn't recognize Jesus as God, thought he was only a man, and calling him good, it indicates that he didn't quite grasp the fact that goodness was a character quality reserved only for God. Now, Jesus didn't press his claims to be God at this point. The point here is that if you think that I'm a man, why would you call me good? Only God is purely good. And that's why Jesus scolded him. 
by telling him that only God was good. Verse 17 says to him, why are you asking me about what is good? Other translation, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good. You see, the Lord wanted him to see God as the only one who is intrinsically good, meaning that in his nature, he is perfectly good, perfectly holy, righteous and just. Why was that so important? If this man was to receive eternal life, he needed to see that God was holy because God's holiness demands that this man's sin had to be addressed. In seeing God's pure goodness, hopefully he would see that he wasn't good, that he was a sinner in need of a savior to deliver him from the wrath of God. He wasn't ready to receive eternal life. He didn't understand about God's goodness and holiness. Secondly, in addition to failing to understand the moral goodness of God, this man failed to see his own sinful heart and condition. That's why Jesus pointed him. He went on to point him to the Ten Commandments so that he would realize that he didn't live up to these standards. Notice the middle of verse 17. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And notice what the young man said. He missed it. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? The young man was self-righteous. He thought that he had observed all these commandments because he kept them in an outward, external manner. He was a presentable young man. He looked good. He's a man who was respected by everybody as being pious, devout, wholly devoted to his religion and to the God of his religion. He looked good. In fact, we would say he looked great on the outside. But Jesus knew better. Jesus knew his heart. And so he proceeded to put his finger on the one area of this man's life that he could not deny. He had violated God's word and had sinned and broken one of the commandments. He hadn't kept the 10th commandment, which Jesus purposely left out. He hadn't kept the 10th commandment, which prohibits coveting. Thou shalt not covet. What is coveting is that inner attitude of being dissatisfied with what you have, that inner yearning for things that you don't have. It is that spirit of greediness that is never content, never satisfied with what it possesses, always wants more. And that is precisely why Jesus said, In verse 21, he said to him, if you wish to be complete, complete here is another word for saved, mature, go, sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus told him to sell everything he owned and give all the proceeds to the poor and then follow him. What our Lord was doing He was pushing this man to choose between wealth and the possibility of Christ replacing the God of wealth. But he chose to serve his wealth. He chose to continue. He refused to give up the idol of money. Verse 22. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He came face to face with his sin of being covetous He loved his money. He wasn't about to give up the idol of wealth and possessions, give it all to the poor. And so he was saddened by this. He didn't hear what he wanted to hear. 
But he wasn't saddened enough to change. He wasn't saddened enough by his sin and what Jesus had said to embrace salvation. He walked away from Christ. Instead of following him, he walked away. And in doing so, he walked away from the only one who could give him eternal life. And Jesus let him walk away. As much as he loved him, another gospel account says that the Lord looked upon him with love. He loved him, but he let him walk away because he had refused salvation on the terms that Jesus laid down. And the Lord never compromises anything, let alone salvation. The man had asked Jesus how to obtain eternal life. You know what? The Lord told him exactly what was necessary. What we would tell somebody, perhaps we would use different words today. But Jesus told him, in principle, all he needed to know. Number one, realize that God alone is perfectly good and holy, and therefore he must deal with sin. We would say that. Can't be saved apart from understanding God's holiness. God must punish sin. Secondly, realize that you are not good. You are not holy. You have broken God's law, therefore you must have a savior from your sin. We would say exactly that, in principle, certainly. Third, realize that you must repent of your sin, especially those sins that are obvious in your life. In this man's case, it was the obvious sin of loving and idolizing his money. And then we would tell someone, repent, trust Christ, follow him. Folks, that's exactly what Jesus said. This was the Lord's message to this young man, but he rejected it. Even though the Lord let this rich young man walk away, story doesn't end here. Matthew doesn't move on to a completely new episode. You see, this was one of those what we would call teachable moments that Jesus seized upon in order to give his disciples important instruction on the problem of loving wealth. These men, these disciples had just observed a very wealthy man reject salvation. You know what? They were puzzled by it. They needed some explanation. Why? Why would this man walk away from Christ? And why wouldn't Jesus go after him? And so Jesus gives them an explanation, not the one that they were expecting. And he gives them an explanation, not just about this rich man in particular, but about all wealthy people as he proceeds to teach them the problem that comes to everyone and anyone who trusts in their money and loves their money and thinks too highly of material possessions. And this is why, folks, this is such an important and relevant passage for all of us to understand. We're actually going to take two weeks to cover this passage because loving money is something that affects all of us. We live in a commercial, materialized world. We need to come to grips with what the Bible says concerning the love of money. There are non-Christians who, just like this rich young ruler, would forfeit and do forfeit their soul for all of eternity because money and possessions have become their God, not willing to give them up for Christ. They live to acquire and enjoy the things of this world. They wouldn't think of giving them up for Christ. They wouldn't think of giving anything up for him, let alone all for him. And there are genuine Christians who know better They know what the Bible says about money and things, but they still hold material possessions too dear to their hearts. They've never learned to obey and honor God with their money. Their money has become too important to them, and they need to know that this leads to some serious problems, negative problems with their spiritual lives. Now, as the passage unfolds, we see Jesus teaching his disciples that loving money and wealth can lead to two specific problems. 
One problem has specific application for the non-Christian. The other problem has specific application for the Christian. This morning, we're going to look at the first problem that has specific application for the non-Christian. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the one that deals with Christians. Now, according to Jesus, the first problem that loving money leads to is this. It leads to the fact that it deprives an individual of salvation. It deprives an individual of salvation. We begin by looking at verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. After watching the rich young ruler depart from him, Jesus said these words to his disciples. This was an immediate follow-up. However, according to Mark's gospel, before saying even a word, Jesus, we read, turned to his disciples and gave them a deliberate, sweeping look. He must have been looking at the man walk away down the road, and he turned back and looked at his disciples. Why? Because he knew that they didn't understand what was going on. He knew that that they needed an explanation as to why this promising, wealthy convert who could have financed a lot for them. Why he had just rejected the message of salvation. So before they could ask him any questions, he looks at them and he says, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus has put into words what this young ruler just illustrated by walking away from him. He said, it's hard for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did our Lord mean by this? Was he saying that wealth and salvation never go together, that no rich person can ever be saved, and if you are wealthy and you you do accept Christ as your Savior, then you should become destitute and poor? Now, there are some people who believe that. There are some Christians who believe that Jesus was saying this. They believe that it is always wrong for a Christian to have an abundance of things. They believe that all Christians should become poor by giving away everything that's beyond the essentials, especially, some would say, to missionaries. And if a Christian is not poor, folks who hold to this look upon them, those who have an abundance of materials, goods, with suspicion. Is being carnally minded, worldly, unspiritual. How can you be a godly man and have so much? But listen, it's not possible that Jesus meant that, that all wealthy people should denounce their money before coming to faith in Christ or after coming to faith in Christ. And I say that because the Bible never condemns wealth, only loving it never condemns wealth, nor does it teach that wealth and riches are incompatible with believing in Jesus. I remind you that Abraham, who is presented in Scripture as the model of biblical faith, was a very wealthy man, as was his son Isaac and as was his grandson Jacob. Old Testament Bible characters such as Job, David, Solomon were all extremely wealthy. In the New Testament, we read of a very rich disciple, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who lovingly took care of Christ's dead body and placed it in his own tomb. 
And then we have the story in the book of Acts of Barnabas, an early church leader who was a wealthy landowner. I know people, even in my own family, who think that all wealthy people are stingy and unscrupulous. When I tell them that I have some friends who are richer than I can imagine, and they give lavishly of not only their money but their time, I'm sure my friends and family don't quite believe me. (laughs) If they just read their Bibles, they'd see, as we just saw, that God often makes good use of wealthy people who are devoted to Him. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this study about the love of money on our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. To help support Verse by Verse financially, you can give by phone at that number, 727-441-1714, or visit the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. We appreciate those generous listeners who make Verse by Verse possible. Also on our website is an extensive archive of previous broadcasts, and you can stream or download any of those hundreds of files we offer there. Go to versebyverseradio.org and click the link to the message archive. I'm Jerry Peterson. All faiths, except Christianity, require people to do or give something to obtain eternal life. If they even believe in eternal life, that is. But imagine if such a thing was possible. Could you buy eternal life? How rich would I have to be in order to buy a ticket to heaven? God does Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.